This is entitled Marriage and the Church, Ordained of God, Ordained of God. I want to talk to you about these two things because <clears throat> there are two things that God ordained in this world. And these are the two things that he ordained that is very dear to him. Let me get this focused. Right. Let me move in just a little closer here. Marriage and the church ordained of God. And I want to talk to you about this because there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world today. And I'm just going to take my liberty here to talk to all of us and show you in the scriptures here how important both marriage and the church is in the world. And that this is what the devil has decided to attack us on. Now, those lights are a little bit bright for me. You can cut them down. I can't hardly see anything. I have to put a, a ball cap bib on, I guess, to see you. But can you dim those lights a little bit up there or something? Praise God. Marriage was the was instituted by God. I'm going to start out here, number one. I'm going to start moving right on through this. i got many interesting things to talk to you about here as we go. Marriage was instituted by God, Genesis 2.18. I want you to turn to the very beginning of civilization here. And uh, I'm going to read chapter 2 and verse 18. And then we're going to read verses 21 through 24. So I'm looking at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. <clears throat> the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Jumping down, I'll be jumping sometime, skipping verses just to save time more than anything because of the number of scriptures I have here. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, I've read this to you to establish a very simple truth, and that is that marriage was ordained of God. I want to really put emphasis on that. Marriage is ordained of God. And the reason is because marriage is being attacked today more than ever before. And it's wise for us to understand that because it is an institution of God, that God ordained it, God established it, Satan will attack it. That's his business. That's what he's going to do. And uh, he's full of, the devil is full of the devil. You know, just put it that way. Satan's full of the devil. And he's going to attack marriages because God has ordained it and it's ordained of God. God has established it from the very beginning. Now, I'm going to go to uh, number A here. Marriage was confirmed by Christ as God ordained. In other words, it was confirmed by Jesus 
who said that God had ordained marriage. Look at Matthew 19, 4 and 6. And this is a little bit of a whole hump thing with many of us. I understand that, but stay with me. I've got some very interesting things to talk to you about here tonight. In Matthew 19 and 4, he answered and said unto them, this is these Pharisees coming to him, trying to talk to him about things, trip him up and so forth. He answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, the reason I'm reading this to you is so you understand that Jesus confirmed that Adam and Eve were made in the beginning and they were made the way that they were made. Adam was made from the dust of the earth. Eve was made taken as a rib from his side. So Jesus confirms that in verse 4. He answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and that's what it was, was stated over in Genesis, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, this is a powerful statement because these are the words of Christ. This is Jesus saying that what was done back there, there, I confirmed that, I put my stamp on it, and this is exactly the way that God ordained that it should be. Now, I have another verse of Scripture I will not read because it's almost identical to the same thing as one found in Mark uh, 8, 6, and 9. If you were to read that one, it would be almost the very same words because it's Mark's version of what Matthew uh, mentions over here uh, in 19, 4, and 6. Now, I'm going to go to B here. Look at this very closely here. Marriage is honorable. Everybody with me? Marriage is honorable. I'm saying all of this because there are more crazy things out here where people try to attack the beautiful, ordained institution of marriage that God has established. Praise the Lord. And I want to read this verse of scripture to you if you look with me here. If marriage is honorable, of Hebrews 13, 4. 13, 4. Marriage is honorable. It's one verse. I'm read it very quickly here. Marriage is honorable in all. You've got a pen under word in all. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Look at that very closely. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So he's really putting emphasis here that God has ordained marriage. Marriage is a holy institution. He's established it. Praise the Lord is of him. Amen. And God has made it an honorable thing for all of us. Marriage was also confirmed by Paul. I'm going to number one here. I'm going a little bit further here about it. Paul talks about it now. Take note of this one very carefully. First Corinthians chapter seven. I'm not getting into a marriage and divorce discussion here. I'm just bringing out some things to you here about the importance of marriage and what the Bible had to say about it. Uh, all right. Seven and, uh, 
verse 10. And unto the married, this is Paul talking now to the church. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Now when he says that I... I command, but not I, but the Lord. He's meaning that he has reference to the Old Testament scriptures to support what he's saying. He's saying this is what the Old Testament substantiates. Therefore, what I'm stating here uh, is from the Lord directly. Praise the Lord. It's not my opinion or idea or how I think it should be done, but it is from the Old Testament. So the verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife... Depart from her husband. Everybody hang on to your bonnets and listen to me very closely here. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. It means to divorce her. Verse 12. But to the rest, that is everybody else that's tuning in here. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Notice that he's saying here now, I don't have Old Testament scriptures to support what I'm fixing to say here now. But I'm saying it because I know it's the will of God and the way of God would have us to do it. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any man hath a wife that believeth not, notice this now, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. You see that? I'm going to get a little bit deeper in this. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So two people are married. One of them gets saved. The other one does not get saved. So the saved one now is to, is, is to divorce that unsaved one. Let's suppose the wife gets saved and the husband does not get saved. So now she's saved and he's not saved. So what she did, no, no, no. He said, no, that's not the way it's done. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Because he said, he that be pleased, let, let him, not, let her not leave him. Verse 14, here's why. Look closely now. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Not sanctified to go to heaven or be saved, but sanctified in the marriage. The marriage is sanctified because the one is saved and the other has chosen to abide and they abide together. And one's not going to leave the other. I'll finish this up in a few moments here. The husband is sanctified by the wife and the, un- and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Uh, before I go any further, let me just say one thing here that for years, my mother lived for God, but my dad did not. And my mother would say as she went out the door on Sunday morning and Sunday night, she'd say, honey, you want to go to church with me? He said, well, not today. Or, no, I'm tired. I want to stay home and watch television. And uh, this is what would happen. He went over and over that way. One day she said to him, she says, my dad, I tell you what, I'm not going to ask you every time I go to church. Do you want to go with me? But anytime you want to go, all you have to do is say, wait, I'm going with you. And I'll just sit down and wait till you're ready to go. And then we'll go together. But you make that decision. So I'm not going to be hounding you. If I go out this door and I don't say, 
I'll just say bye. I'll see you after church, maybe something like that. But I won't be asking you all the time, but I want you to go when you get ready to go. And one day she started out the door. And he said, wait, I'm going to go with you. She said, fine, I'll sit here and wait for you to change clothes. He went in and changed clothes, got his best suit on, came out and said, let's go to church. And it was from that that visit to the church and to a revival that he got saved, went prayed through and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and, and on and so forth. He didn't believe in women preachers, but they had a women preacher, a woman preacher preaching in that church. And she preached him to the altar. And he had a cigarette problem. And he went back and said, I can't give up this cigarette problem. Sister Willie Johnson. And Sister Willie Johnson said, well, Brother Myers, and you are Brother Myers now since you got the Holy Ghost a couple nights ago. She said to him, we're going to get rid of that cigarette nicotine devil that you got in you. She put one hand on his head and one hand on his throat like that. And she begins to pray for him. And pray for him. And he said he felt like she was choking me after death. And her head was, hand was pushing me down. And she was praying for me. And all of a sudden he said, I had a big belch and a burp. It tasted like old tobacco. This came out of him. And from that moment on, he never, ever had a desire for another cigarette. And he had been smoking for 30 years. I'm just trying to say God can do some powerful things. But I'm just pointing all of that out to say that she waited for him to say, and that's how we win our unsaved loved ones. There are some of there are some men in here that their wives were saved first, and then their wives were saved, and then finally the man came into church and he got saved. And uh, thank God for that. Sometimes it's the man first, but usually it's the wife first and then the man. So the, Paul was saying, uh, let him not put her away. Now, look at the next one. This is very important. I'm going to read the rest of part of verse 14. Let me read all of 14. I'll read the rest of it then. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Now look at the next line. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. You see that word holy? You know what that means? Even though they don't have the Holy Ghost yet, when they're children, I'm talking about little children. Even though they don't have the Holy Ghost yet, they are made holy by the holiness of that holy parent. If it's just one parent, they are made holy and they will go in the rapture. Amen. Oh, you say, Brother Meyer, you don't have proof. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, hang on. Look over in Revelations 22 with me for a moment. Revelations uh, 21 it is. I'm sorry, Revelation 20 and 6. I got it right that time. Revelations 20 and 6. I think it's in your notes there. Revelation 26. Look at this very closely. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's what the rapture is. There's two resurrections, the main, res main resurrection. There's the first resurrection. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the first resurrection. And then we are the main, we are the first resurrection. And then after a thousand years, there will be an end time resurrection where the, all the dead will come before God and stand before the Lord. There will be another resurrection then. That's the second resurrection. First resurrection is blessed and holy. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. But for a small child that has not yet 
maybe reach the age of accountability, praise the Lord, God will let them be in the rapture because that parent who is saved has the Holy Ghost and will go in the rapture. Now, this actually happened. This really happened. We had a couple of families that come in our church. They were fairly new people. And they said, Brother Myers, we've been thinking lately, and uh, we, uh, we've got children. We're saved. We've got the Holy Ghost. So both of us went and talked to some unsaved relatives of ours that we didn't think was going to go in the rapture, and we asked them when the rapture takes place, would you take care of our children? Isn't that sad? They actually did that. They were very sincere. I said, sit down. i got to tell you something. I said, that's not the way it happens. If you've got the Holy Ghost and you're living for God, when you go in the rapture, your children are going to go in the rapture. You don't have to worry about leaving them with some unsaved person or just leaving them here. And they look at mom and dad going up and said, oh, I, I, did, I didn't have the Holy Ghost. They're, maybe they're seven years old, six years old, five, I don't know what age, five. You know, children do receive the Holy Ghost at different ages, but before that, let's say, whatever. And they have to say, oh, here goes the rapture. There goes mom and dad. Here we are left on this earth. Who's going to take care of us now? You know, the world's going to get crazy. That's not the way God does things. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what this verse of scripture is saying here. He said, we're your children, praise the Lord, verse 14. Let's see, I got to go back to that. Back over there to, uh, to uh, where I was. Yeah, here we go. Verse 14. And the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the, uh, is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Praise the Lord. So whatever age it is that a child reaches where they become accountable for their own sins, I don't really know what it is. I know with the Jewish people, they have the bar mitzvah. I think it's age 13. When they reach age 13, they become accountable as an adult for themselves. When I was a boy growing up, we'd always heard it was age 12. Age 12. And uh, I, have, I had a first cousin. He passed away a couple years ago. But I had a first cousin. who He and I were born the same day. Same day. The, yesterday, incidentally, was our, my birthday, July 13th. And he and I both were born on July 13th, summertime, you know. And thank you, all of you who sent me cards and gifts. And, and even some people called me and that had two to call me and just sing happy birthday on the phone to me. God bless you. God bless all of you. I appreciate you so much. You're all that you did. You're such a wonderful church. But getting back to this cousin of mine. Amen. In hot July weather, living in Miami. We would go sometime and slip into a farmer's watermelon patch and steal a watermelon. And then we'd go eat that watermelon hot summer weather. So it was July 13th, his birthday and mine. We had both turned 12 years old. And I said, Willard, let's go get a watermelon. And he said, nope. I said, why? No, you don't, what, you, what's, what's wrong with that? He said, nope, I'm not sinning no more. I'm all through sinning. I said, why? He said, don't you know what? The day's our birthday. We're 12 years old. From this day on, we are accountable for our own sins. Until that, it was on our parents. Now it's on us. 
And I thought for a minute, and I could just see that watermelon just going, <laughs> sliding down the way. No, no, no good old juicy watermelon on a hot July day that day. Kind of thinking about it. And all of a sudden, I said to him, boy, I'm ashamed of you. I can't believe what you're saying. All these years, you'd let your mom and dad, you know, suffer for your sins. But the day you become responsible, you're not going to sin no more. Oh, you're just going to let them suffer, but not you. You'd seal a watermelon yesterday, but today you're not going to. You know, I just laid it on him. And I just said, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know what to think of you, Willard. I'm just embarrassed by you. He dropped his head a little bit and he said, let's go get that watermelon. <laughs> I had to tell you that. Well, praise God, later on I repented for all everything. <laughs> God love you. But that was that age of accountability that we were talking about. Getting back to the point, though, our children, praise the Lord, <clears throat> they are saved because we are saved and if we, until, until they reach that age, and we don't know what that age is and everything. When they get to be big strapling fellows and their feet hanging out in the aisle, it is time for them to get saved, get filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in His name. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me read the 15th verse here. I'll finish up. But if they believe the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? And that's what I was just talking about. Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? By simply uh, staying together and so forth. And the Lord condones that and he encourages that. So this is how that God confirmed it. Paul's mention of that all in the book of of first Corinthians here now uh, go to number two here this is an important factor as well I'm just gonna make a quick mention of this marriage is honorable as I mentioned up here in B and in small letter number two or rather not to be forbidden by the church marriage is not to be forbidden by the church now let me give you a scripture for that look at first Timothy 4 1 through 3 1 Timothy 4. Praise the Lord. Look at very closely here what this says. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, that's where we are now, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Verse, verse 3, forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. That has a lot to do with these convents and things where people are forbidden to marry. They have all of that. And so I'm not going to go there and say any more. But the Bible has established marriage as honorable for all. Praise the Lord. Married, and God has established it. And that a man and a woman is to be married. And Paul says in one place, uh, he said, let every man have his own wife, every woman have her own husband. I think that's in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, I believe it is, somewhere in there. But I'm just pointing out to you here that the Bible uh, does forbids the church or any institution to forbid marriage. Because marriage is holy of God, ordained of God. And God has established it that we might walk with him in grace and in truth. Praise the Lord. Now, let me move on a little bit further here. I've got some things to bring out to you here. The church 
was manifested by God, was instituted by God. Now, we've talked about marriage in part one here. Marriage was instituted by God. We talked about marriage. Now, I want to talk to you about the church here because our subject here is marriage and the church ordained of God. Everybody still with me? All right. Now, the church was was uh, instituted by God. Now, it was first mentioned in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. If you've got your Bibles and want to look back with us in Daniel for a quick review here. This is uh, Daniel chapter 2, and this is where he's talking about uh, kingdoms, the kingdoms that would come on, come to pass uh, when Israel was conquered as a nation. And the Lord would let these Gentile empires rise and fall. He mentions who they are. It would be the Babylonian Empire, then it would be the Media Persian Empire, then it would be the Grecian Empire, then it would be the Roman Empire. And then toward the end, toward the end of the period of time, that would be the Roman Empire embellished again somewhat. And uh, I won't get into the details on that, only to say this, verse 44. And in the days of these kings, he's talking about the, that Roman Empire now. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Because he's talking about how each one of these empires would rise and fall. But during one of these kingdoms, which was the Roman Empire... God would set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This is God's kingdom now that he's setting up. Set up on the, during the time of these kings and kingdoms. Now, to give you a light on that, I want you to turn with me over here to Matthew. I'm reading here in chapter 3. And verse 2, 3 and 2. I'm following scripture here so that you'll understand here. We're right on scripture target. 3 and 2. This is Matthew right here. And saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was John the Baptist preaching. In those days came John the Baptist in verse 1. Preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he was saying what Daniel talked about over there is at hand right now. It's here. And then looking a little bit further here, and I've got the next set of scriptures there. That's chapter 4 and verse 17. 4 and 17, if you'll jump over to that verse. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say. Now, these are the words of Christ. John the Baptist said it. Now, Jesus is saying it. And he began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is the same. If you read Matthew, he says the kingdom of heaven a lot. If you read maybe Mark or Luke, they'll say the kingdom of God. And they talk about the same. They use the same illustration and so forth. But they're speaking using different words. So it doesn't matter which word it is. They're both the same. So I'm just pointing out to you here that. Both John the Baptist and Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Bible gives us a little understanding on that. I want you to go with me also to, uh, to Luke uh, 17, 20. Look at this verse of scripture here. Everybody still with me? We're talking about the, the kingdom of God, the church of the living God here. I'll show you how this all ties together. And this is Luke 17, 20. 
And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, you understand what we're pointing out to you here. Daniel talked about the kingdom of God would be set up in the days of these kings. This was during the Roman Empire period of time here. And Jesus' ministry going on at that period of time. And so these were Roman emperors that were in power at the time. During those period of time, this empire would be set up. This king, the kingdom, rather, of God. This kingdom of God. Now, let me go a step further here. Let's, let's clinch this thing. Look at Romans 14, 17. 14, 17. Praise God. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You understand what we're saying here? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is what the kingdom of God is. And later on, it talks about the church. The word church means called out ones. It's a Greek word meaning called out ones. And so the Lord established the church, called it the kingdom of God, on this earth, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, on this earth, and the Lord ordained it. So God ordained the church here in this world. And whenever Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, go again, all the world preach the gospel. And that's what they did. Their first message, of course, was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You know, you well know the scriptures. And Peter stood up with the 11. Judas Iscariot had betrayed the Lord and he was out of the picture. He stood up with the 11 and proclaimed, praise the Lord, that uh, you must repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. And they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when they did, they spoke in other tongues. That was the evidence that the Holy Ghost had come. And chapter 10 even bears that out. They knew they had the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues. They said, wow, we know they got the Holy Ghost. They're speaking in tongues. There's evidence of it. I won't go any further on to say that this was God's church being established and set up on this earth. Now, folks, he instituted marriage. God did. He instituted the church. Those two things. And this is what Satan will fight. The devil is going to fight those two things. And you might as well mark it down. There is no shortcut. He's going to try to bring about some kind of an attitude on our part to cause us to fail the God in the church and to fail our marriages. Now, I want to talk to our men for just a moment here. Uh, Brethren, fight for your families. I mean, I mean that every man fight for your family. You stand for your family. You stand for your wife. You stand for your children. Every woman stand for your family. Don't you let any little old whistle blowny thing blow by. You know, I used to tell guys, I said, if you if you go by a donut shop, you're trying to lose weight. And every day you, you're tempted to go in there and drink a cup of coffee and eat a donut or two. Take a different route. That's donuts I'm talking about. Now, what if it's something else? What if it's temptations? Take a different route. 
Praise the Lord. But you got to fight. You got to stand up. And all of this pansy, anzy, stuff, that's not, that should not be among us Christian men and Christian women. Amen. Let every man have his own wife. She's my wife. Every man, every woman have her own husband. He's my guy. Praise the Lord. And we fight for those things. We hold fast to them. And that's what the devil is going to try to rock. He's going to try to shake it. He's going to try to somehow or another, you know, you have a, an argument with your wife or a husband. I just say a man has an argument with his wife. And he goes there, well, so what? We all have, we've had our arguments or we'll have or whatever, you know. You just call them arguments or disagreements or whatever they are. But you go on. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because God has ordained marriage and it's his institution, folks, is ordained of God. And the devil is going to fight it every kind and every way that he can. And he'll try to fight the church. he fight the church because the church is ordained to the Lord. Church, the church is God's people. Praise the Lord. It's God's ordained group of people. Look at Matthew 16. I didn't read it. Look at this one here. Matthew 16. Upon this rock I'll build my church. I think most of you know that by heart. Look at this very closely here. This is where Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? They say, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias. He said, Whom do ye say that I am? Jesus said that. Verse 15, and he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? He's talking to his disciples here. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Now, when he said, Thou art the Christ, the word Christ is a New Testament word for Messiah, which is the Old Testament Hebrew word. It means Messiah. You are the Messiah. Well, every Jew knew what the Messiah was. They knew the Messiah was the one promised of God from days of old, all through the Old Testament that he was going to come. Amen. And where those other Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah, these disciples received him as their Messiah. And that's what he was confirming there. You are the Messiah. He said to him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now look at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This has been revealed to you by the Spirit. Verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. Look at that. Peter said to him, Thou art the Christ. I say unto thee, Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. What rock? The rock of a relationship. He's not saying to Peter, upon Peter I'm going to build my church. That's what the Catholic Church tries to say. Upon Peter I'm going to build my church. Because the word Peter doesn't mean a rock. It means a stone. It means actually a stone that's no bigger, no bigger, I don't know how to describe it. It would be no bigger than this, maybe. Like this bowling ball, let's say. No bigger than that. Maybe not even maybe as big as your fist. That's what the word Peter means. Okay, but he said upon this rock, and some people say, well, that means Christ Jesus, but why did he say, and thou art Peter? He said thou art Peter because he was establishing that the relationship between him and Peter is what this church is built upon. Now, let me go a little bit further. Folks, that's what the church is built on is your relationship with him, his relationship with you. 
Every one of us have an individual and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Lord has established it that way. He said, to Peter, upon this rock, you, thou art Peter. You say, I'm Christ. Yes. And I know you know me. You know who I am. I know who you are. You're Peter. And upon this rock, this relationship between the two of us, I will build this church. And folks, the church is built upon this relationship we have with Jesus Christ and him with us. I didn't know Jesus. I had I didn't know anything about him. I just felt him tugging at my heart to go down to the altar and repent. That's all I knew. I just I felt like I just had to go down there and repent. I just had to go. I just he was pulling at me. I could feel it. But when I got there and I started worshiping and he started touching me and blessing me, and from that time on, and I would pray and I would feel the presence and spirit of God. I thought, oh, my goodness, I can talk to God. I can talk to Jesus. And he talks to me, you know, by the word, through the, with the spirit. Praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, folks, praise the Lord. It's that relationship. We, and don't let nobody ever destroy that relationship you have with Jesus. We have to fight for that. Just like you have to fight for your family. You have to fight to keep your family together. You have to fight, praise the Lord, that she's my wife. He's my husband. We have to fight for those things. These are my children. Praise the Lord. He is my God. And I belong to him. Praise the Lord. I don't belong to nobody else. You understand what I'm talking about? He be- I belong to him. He belongs to me. Praise the Lord. The Lord took a rib out of Adam's side and made Eve. When Jesus died on the cross, they broke the bones of the other two prisoners, but they came to Jesus, they pierced him with a spear. They pierced him with an un- unusual, uncommon for a person to die on the cross and be and fight and the final act of the executioners to be that a, a spear to his side. But with Jesus a spear to his side, and John says, I was there, blood and water came out of his side. And I just say somehow or another, I believe that John was telling us, praise the Lord, that just like God, praise the Lord, brought a wife for Adam out of his side, Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, brought his church out of his side. Praise the Lord, shedding his blood that we might be saved and we can have that relationship with him. Praise the Lord. Let me just say one other thing here. Fight to be in the house of God. Neglect not the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some is, seeing that they're approaching. Go to the house of God. Be in the house of God. I know sometimes there's sickness, sometimes there's affliction, sometimes there's situations. I, I understand all of that. But let's not just lay out because it's convenient or I just didn't feel like it today or, or worked an hour overtime or whatever. Just say, no, no, I'm going to be in the house of God. And folks, even when you're tired sometimes, come to the house of God. It's amazing how God would just rejuvenize, just rejuvenize us, just lift us up and give us a greater spirit. But we've got to be in the house of God. And when you come to the house of God, let's praise him. Now, can I just say here, don't be backward about praising God. You may not be the loudest one in the church. That's okay. I know I'm, I, I certainly can't be the loudest one. And many of you cannot be, but some of the younger ones can be. Let them be loud. Praise the Lord. That's okay. I want you to be loud. Praise the Lord. 
You won't find me running around the church. But if some of them want to, that's okay. Praise the Lord. You know why? Because you don't know where they came from. And they know where they came from. They said, Lord, I'm so excited and so happy. I can't, just can't be still. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to say, folks, when we come to the house of God, let's worship the Lord because this is the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus established this. God established this on earth. Fight for your marriage and fight for your church. I don't mean the building here, but fight. Yeah, fight for each other. Fight for each other. Praise the Lord. Uphold each other. And fight for your relationship with Jesus. You come to the house of God. You come into his presence. You come into his spirit. And the Lord will bless you and he'll keep his hand on you. And he will keep his hand on all things. I'm going to move on very quickly because uh, the church is compared to a marriage. Both were established by the Lord. I'm going to read Ephesians because this is what we've sort of been comparing it a little bit with. Uh, Let's see here, right here. All right. Look at these verses of scripture very quickly. I'm going to go through this very quickly. 5 and 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Notice how he's comparing now the church with marriage. Everybody with me? So if you think, well, Brother Myers, that you compared that yourself. No, no, that's in the Bible here. For the husband is the head of the... Verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be under their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Look at that. If you're a man, underline that word, husband, love your wives. Love your wives. Love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. <coughs> I dare say most Christian men would lay down their life for their family. I dare say that. I believe they would. I'll go, I won't go any further. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. I'm just repeating here what the word said. Husband, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself forth, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is a, talking about the church now, and he's comparing it with a marriage, a family. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That's a powerful verse. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourish and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father. And he's quoting here now from the same thing over in Genesis, where Adam and Eve were made. This cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. Then he adds this, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife, see that she reverence or respect her husband. Let me just say one word here. Every woman in a marriage wants to be loved by her husband, and every man wants to be respected by his wife. Now, put that in the back of your head and just remember that. Don't ever forget that. That's true. That's, that's not about right. That is right. <laughs> now, I've got about... Ten minutes here. I'm going to wrap this thing up here. Look at A here. I'm going to. Satan will attack both marriage and the church because they are of God. Fornication and adultery. Look what he has to say about it. Go to Galatians chapter 5. 
Galatians chapter 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. It goes on to name idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, bears, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, and so forth. But I, I want to point out to you here, it talks about this thing called adultery and fornication. And it names it here. Look in Luke 18.20. This is where the Ten Commandments are talked about. Luke 18.20. I'm moving very quickly here. Thou, thou knowest the commandments. This is the Lord talking to a certain ruler who came to him and said, you know, what must I do, you know, to be saved? He said, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness on a fallen mother. But notice the part here where it said, do not commit adultery. I'm just pointing out to you here the Bible talks about these things. First Corinthians 16, 18. And then I'm going to wrap this baby up here and go to something else real quick. This is 18th verse, 618, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without the body, pardon me, every sin that a man doeth is, is without the body, that is outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And we're talking about here how God will attack not only the church, but he also attacks marriages here. Now, I'm going to go to one very quickly here, and uh, this is homosexuality. I'm going to talk to you about this for a moment. i got about ten minutes, and I'm going to wind this up. But, folks, this is one of the deplorable things that's coming on the earth today and is condemned in the Bible is homosexuality. It is when men hook up with men and women hook up with women. You know what it is. I don't have to tell you. They have made certain words nasty. I remember when queer was just meaning odd or strange. When I was a boy, you said something was queer, you just mean it was odd. Now you say it, and you, you do like this. And I remember the word gay, when it was just meant, in fact, that is the word somewhere in the scripture of the Bible, where it talks about having gay clothing. A man comes into the church with gay clothing. It doesn't mean that he's homosexual. It means that he's just, he's lighthearted, that he's uh, sort of uh, fun-loving. That's what it basically means. But they take those words... And they make them nasty and dirty by hooking them on themselves. Said, I'm gay. And next thing you know, you start looking at it like a nasty word. You know. And now they're trying to hook up with letters and colors. The color of the rainbow. What a beautiful thing rainbows are. All the colors. They go, now they're the people of all these colors. Red, white, blue, or purple. I don't know. I'm not going to go there any further. But I'm just saying that this is an abomination. I can show you in history where the Greeks got that way and the Romans despised them, despised them. And I can also show you, praise the Lord, where the Romans later got the same way. They got the same way. And I've been over in Rome and I've been to those cities there. I've been to Pompeii. The ruins of Pompeii. Pompeii was a city given over to homosexuality. 
I've walked those cobblestones. I've seen the carvings in the stone that was 2,000 years old, still there, directing people how to go to a place for homosexuality. It's horrible. And God let Mount Vesuvius in 79 A.D. blow its top. And all the larva and the spew came over and covered that city and completely killed everybody in that city. The guide that took us through that city said that they know by evidence that there was a Christian church in that city. But for some mysterious reason, they were gone and they were out of there before Mount Suvius blew its top. They left. And I said, that's God. That's God. Amen. And that Christian church in 79 A.D., they had to have been baptizing in Jesus' name and being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Amen. Okay. Now, let me give you some scripture here. Let me look at Romans very quickly. Here. Romans, uh, I'm reading Romans 124. Romans 124. I'm right down here at the bottom now. Almost actually, Romans 124. Look at this very closely. Wherefore, God also gave them up unto uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, you don't have it there. It's not there, but jump over to verse 26. 26, it was uh, somehow or another we overlooked that. It should have been right here following it. Look at 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. He's talking about homosexuality here. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. And receiving themselves that recompense of their error which is meet. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of all evil, of evil things, disobedient to parents. Isn't that strange? It's in there. Look at 31. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implaceable, unmerciful, and so forth. Now, I just want to let you know here that the Bible speaks very clearly about it. I'm going to read a scripture or two over here in the Old Testament, and I'm going to go very quickly here to Leviticus. In your Bibles there, in your notes where it says Leviticus 17:22. That should be 1822. That was an error on my part. I got the wrong chapter in there. That should be, if you got a pen, make set seven into an eight. Leviticus 1822. So they're showing it. They've already corrected it on the overhead. So that's what you've got. 1822. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with, this is in the Old Testament under the law now. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination jumping very quickly then uh, to uh, Leviticus 20 and 13 20 and 13 just a few chapters over this is what it says if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman both of them have committed an abomination 
They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon both of them, upon them, shall be upon them. And so this is what the Bible here says in the Old Testament. Now, reading a couple of verses to you in the New Testament and wrapping things up. And I'm uh, reading here. Uh, I'm going to refer to this. I'm not going to read it, but over in Genesis chapter 19, it talks about two angels coming to Sodom and Gomorrah, coming to the city of Sodom, uh, where Lot and his family lived. And that city was wholly given over to homosexuality. That's where the word sodomy came from. And it talks about how that these angels came there and Lot says, you can't stay out in the street here, not in this city. Come on out. He took him into his house. When they went into the house, these are two angels. They look like young men just traveling through. And the men of the city came to that house. I won't go into detail. I can't read it here. We don't have the time. But these men went to the house and they knocked on the door and they said, Lot, those two men that came to your city, we want them. We want them. He said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Yeah, go, don't, this is not, this is not the thing to do. And he tries to persuade them. They said, no, no, no. It goes on to say that they pressed sore upon, uh, Lot even, and they came near to breaking the door down. Finally, the angels reached out, pulled Lot inside, closed the door, and did like that. And all those men became blind. And it was all kinds of men. They were homosexuals. This shows you that they had them back there. This was in the Bible. It was condemned. And then these two angels said to Lot, tomorrow God's going to destroy this whole place. Bring down fire from heaven. Get your family together and get out of here. Morning comes. Daybreak comes. we got to be out of here. And that's what they did. They took Lot and his family out of there. And when they did, fire fell from heaven and consumed everything because it was so given over to that homosexuality. I'm just saying that it's all there. Uh, I'm just reading other scriptures here, and I'm going to wind this up now. Uh, this is found in 2 Timothy 3 and 2. Chapter 2 Timothy 3 and 2 and 3. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Look at verse 3. Without natural affection, truth breakers, false cues, and so forth. And Colossians 3, 5. One more verse, and the next one, then we're through. Here's another verse of Scripture. This is Colossians 3, 5. Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It gives us words in here to let us know it's talking about homosexuality. The Bible speaks about it in the Old Testament. It speaks about it in the New Testament and condemns it. And uh, talks about it as being a filthy thing. And then finally, uh, last but not least, Ephesians and 3 and verse 2. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unmerciful. Almost the same thing we've been reading. Without natural affection, truce breakers, so forth. That's found in Ephesians. I'm, I'm reading Timothy. I'm sorry. My, my mistake. I'm sorry. Forgive me, guys, up there. I'm going too fast here. I'm trying to wrap it up. Okay. Ephesians 4, 19. Who being past feelings have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Aren't you glad you know the truth, folks? Aren't you glad for truth?
Fight for the church. Fight for your place in the kingdom of God. Don't let nothing ever shake you from it. And fight for your marriage. God has ordained both. And the devil will do his best to try to fight each and every one of them. Tempt us all that kind of stuff. Forget about it. So I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to believe the Lord. And stay close to the book in prayer. And Jesus will always help us through. Would you stand with me and let's just lift our hands and praise God. Let's thank him together. Let's just say, God, we're so thankful for what you have given us as your people. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus, we love you, Lord, with all of our hearts. God, we love you, Lord, because you're great and greatly to be praised. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your people. Thank you for our marriages, God. Thank you that you ordained it, Lord. Family, you ordained it. Children be brought up in the security of homes. God, you've ordained it all, Jesus. And we ask you, Lord, that you might be with your people and guide us in this life. And we know that you're coming soon. You're coming back for your people that's without spot and blemish. We look forward, God, to seeing you one day. We look, Lord, unto you for all things. Go with us at this time and meet back with us again at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you. You've been a great audience.